Welcome to everybody. It's um, good to be sitting here. Um, it seems like forever and ever and ever I haven't, uh, but they say it's like riding a bike. You don't <laughs> don't forget. Um, a couple of things. Um, there will be no service here next Sunday. Uh, we didn't plan on that until we were caught in it. Um, we thought we would have uh, the room um, for the, that we're having for the graduation of the Bible school. Uh, this coming weekend, we're having the graduation of, what, 60 students from our Bible school. And um, that's on Saturday night. And we thought we would just go straight on into Sunday and have our service down there. But um, it didn't work out. The, according to the hotel and so I have to sorry uh, we didn't give you more uh, warning of it but um, there is no service here next Sunday and we'll be back the following Sunday um, that's the first thing the second thing is that um, I, I had my birthday this last week on Wednesday <clears throat> On Wednesday, I became 85. Uh, there was a great download of wisdom at about midnight. And, uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And um, then two days later, um, Cheryl's uh, granddaughter gave us a great-grandson, a great-granddaughter. Um, and so it's been quite a week of comings and goings, but um, I want to share with you, based on it's my 85th birthday, sort of, um, I've gone past it now, but when I was a teenager, and I had really just discovered the Bible, um, and I was reading it for the first time, and as I came in Joshua, I came to a certain passage, and I just thought... Um, it was kind of a neat passage. I, I, I look back, I realized maybe the Holy Spirit was making it alive to me, and it would guide my life in many ways. Um, but I said when I was a teenager, when I'm 85, I will preach from this passage. And that kind of sticks in your head. You know, I remember doing that. And well, here I am, 85, I've got to fulfill what was said by that teenager. And so I want to read to you the passage that started it all. Um, I'm going to read from quite, quite a, more than I usually read anyway. It's in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. Then the sons of Judah, that's one of the tribes of Israel, from incidentally where we get the term Jews, comes from Judah. They drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, and then it gives his genealogy there, you know the word which Yahweh spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Said Caleb, I was 40 years old, when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. 
and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers, the other spies who went with me, they went up with me, made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I, I followed Yahweh my God fully. So Moses swore on that day 40 years ago, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed Yahweh my God fully. So now, behold, Yahweh has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that Yahweh spoke this word to Moses. When Israel walked in the wilderness, so now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Whether it be for war or for just going out of my house and coming back in. So now give me this hill country about which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I will dispossess them as Yahweh has spoken. So Joshua blessed him, gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Yeah. That's what I read as a teenager. This day is my 85th birthday. As far as I know, and I pretty well know the Bible now, but that's the only reference in the Bible to anybody's birthday. And um, it speaks of people being of such an age, but nowhere does it say this day I'm 85 years old. That's what Caleb said. And as I say, um, it was in my heart as a teenager to preach on that when I'm 85. And I really can't tell you what on earth possessed me to say that. Um, I'd already begun to preach, so that wasn't the odd thing. But to think of a teenager even thinking of being 85 and um, preaching on it. But anyway, here it is. And so now this age that I can relate totally to Caleb, um, we have an insight into the heart and mind of this character. Um, He's somewhat important in the whole of Scripture. Not everybody's heard of him, but but he's one of the more important guys. Um, And this is what I want to communicate today. He he is teaching us in, in what he said there, and I'll tell you what he said, but... Um, he's teaching us how to live a full life. And let me anticipate what I'm saying. That's pretty much unknown in the United States. The United States, is it lives so for now. There is no yesterday and no tomorrow. Give it to me now. I want it. And that's life. There is no sense of life that goes on and on and on 
and you have this thing that Americans hardly know how to pronounce called old age. And here is a man up to his eyeballs in old age, and he gives us how he anticipates living, how he has come to that point, and how he feels and what his attitude is right now in the middle of it. And I think that it's much more important than ever I thought it would be when I was a teenager. Um, he had a destiny. It was a destiny that was given to him by Moses. Moses said that you will uh, inherit, your, your inheritance is the hill country. It's called Hebron. And um, maybe some of you have been there. Um, and may God bless those people in Hebron today. Um, but Hebron is still there. Of course, it's the hill country. And really, this hill country that we now sit in is is akin to that, maybe a bit more squashed in. But um, it was mountainous, as Israel might count mountains, and the scattered towns within it, like Kerrville and Burnie and Bandera and Pipe Creek, and there's this cluster of towns, and it was called Hebron. And Hebron was a place where... The, the most powerful people in Israel lived, and they were called the giants. And, and I'll, I'll get to them in a moment. But his destiny, it was placed upon him by Moses that you, because of your attitude, the, the word in most of your Bible said that God said he has a different spirit, but a better way of understanding it, you've got a different attitude to the other ten who didn't see what you saw. Uh, and so he had an attitude. Uh, and he, the Lord told him, you, you, you worship me, you walk with me, you know me with your whole heart. And, and because that's who you are, and, and it stands out when you're compared with these other guys that are wimps and scared and full of fear, um, I'm going to give to you Hebron. There's one way I feel like thank you for that wonderful gift. It's a nest of giants, and um, I could just use that right now. Um, but for all that, destiny. But I want you to understand destiny in its, its bigger sense. Destiny is not fatalism. Um, people look at others and say, you know, they have a destiny. Um, they're special. Yeah, well, up to a point, but that intimates there's been an interference. There's been some movement of the gods, or as the New Ages would say, the universe has decided to, you know, you're special. Well, no, that's not the meaning of the word. Destiny doesn't mean some god has put you on a fast track to success. It doesn't mean that at all. Destiny is not fame. You've heard me talk before about um, a poll that was done among 10-year-olds. And they were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you wait for them, you know, a policeman, a fireman, whatever. No, these kids said, to the last one, everyone said, I want to be famous. Uh, how utterly sick our pa their parents had made them to think that is a goal 
And when further pressed, what would you mean by famous? They said, everybody in the world will know my name. Um, no, that's, no, that's the reverse of destiny. That, that is heading very quickly for disaster. It's not having a public presence. Destiny is not that everybody knows you. Um, destiny is not for a few. It's for everybody. Uh, the scripture plainly says, and I say plainly because whole denominations have been formed trying to figure out what the word means. Um, predestination. Uh, have you noticed destination, destiny? Uh, every person out of God's creative hand is given a destiny. Yeah. And what, what is the destiny? It isn't that you're any of the above. You're not going to have the fast track to success. That's not a destiny. Um, nor, nor is it that the whole world is talking about you. Nor, nor is it that you, um, now have a public presence or, and no, 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 no. Destiny belongs to us all because it springs out of the heart of God's love. You see, hear me very carefully. Because we all have been baptized into this 21st century more than we know. Destiny is being the person God created you to be. Um, another word for that is humility. Humility is not that groveling religious person that, you know, I'm no good, I'm unworthy. Um, no, humility is you know your destiny. That is, I know who I am. I know how God created me to be. And I'm proud of it, and I'm proud of the God that made me. Um, that's my destiny to begin with. Destiny is that includes my personality. I don't have to uh, run away from who I am. My personality, I embrace it. God gave it to me. God made me like this. Um, my strengths... And I don't look down at you because you don't have my strengths. And I don't cower before you because you have strengths that I don't have. No, I've got my strength. That's my destiny to bring my strength to you and bless you with it. I've got a unique set of strengths. I know my weaknesses too. Don't ask me to do that. Um, you know, you, you know, I know, you know, you know yourself and your totally at home in your skin and you're totally at home where, where God has made you and in the place where you are many people think of destiny especially in churches you know um, if, if God called you to the swamps of Mozambique well that must be that's, that's my calling oh give me a break your calling is right here it's right now and if you end up in Mozambique it will be right there but don't think you go around uh, the calling that says you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there. It means that you won't live until you get there. And let me tell you, I've been to the swamps of Mozambique, and it isn't fun. And when you get there, you'll have arguments with every other missionary who thinks they were called there, but they didn't anticipate you being there. Uh, and here, it's a mess. No, all of that stuff, would you flush it down the toilet? The call of God, the destiny has nothing to do with moving all over the world to some distant place. Right here, right now, 
who you are <laughs> in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. That is your destiny. And nowhere in God's world does is anyone destined to fail. No one's destined to fail. Everyone is destined to fulfill their destiny. They're, you, No one's a loser. That could take you a week or two to digest in your secret thoughts. But no one's a loser. Not in God's book. Satan introduced all of that, but you're not. It's all lies. You, as you are, who you are, where you are, when you are. Don't wish you'd been born in 1300. It wasn't any better then. They just didn't have advanced ways of killing each other. But it was just the same, just the same. It's the truth. And we all together, what, what is this destiny that we all have? We share in the destiny of Christ. God became one of us and shared our destiny. And in sharing our destiny, took us into his destiny. What's the destiny? Your destiny is to receive the goodest news that God ever gave us, which is in Jesus. And what is that? That you are his beloved. You are, I'm going to say chosen. That's another bad word in English because it means I choose you and not you. Always reminds me of when they were playing in the play yard and they had fights over who had to have me because they chose, they chose the team and no one wanted me. And that hangs, when anybody says you're chosen, that hangs over my head, you know, who's fighting, you know. But, um, no, the, the fact is God chose every human being. What is to stop him choosing everybody? He chose us for God so loved the world every human being. And so you are chosen. You are destined to be the beloved of God. You're, you're chosen to be his special, to receive that. Take it. It's yours. And to know that love in us, Christ who brought the love to us now dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And our destiny is to share that through us, that we now become the living bearers of that news and that miracle of divine love. So you see, what I'm doing, people say, you know, I have a destiny. Okay, but it's your destiny, no different. You, 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 you work in Walmart and what is your destiny working in Walmart to share the good news with people at many different levels? What's my destiny to share the good news with people at many different levels? Um, I have a great sense of, of, of your destiny that I'm speaking into to wake you up to realize your destiny, not as having a destiny and speaking down to you. That's daft. No, I have a destiny, which is your destiny, and it is to wallow in this love, revel in this love, to know this love, and then to be sharers of that love. 
And so you will share it very differently to me, and I certainly share it very differently to you, but it's the same destiny. Same destiny. Caleb knew his destiny and did not shirk from it. He lived his life to the full. I mentioned it a moment before, and I don't want to be negative, and I'm not going to keep harping on it, but there is an emphasis in the United States, and it has spread to many other countries, but it is all our hope is in youth. If if you're 20s or 30s, you've got it made. And everybody after 30 is trying to look like they're 20 or 30. And it's a disease that America has where they cannot face the future. They cannot face getting old. It's a fear to them of such magnitude. They will spend fortunes on trying to look old. No, to look young when they're old. Um, In England, I, I, I don't know if you know, England's national animal is a sheep. Um... We don't have many uh, cows in England, um, but boy, do we have sheep. And if you go there in the springtime, all you hear is the bleating of lambs wherever you are. And so the the image of sheep and lambs is in all our language. And I, I saw this lady, God bless her, um, I won't even guess her age, but she was coming out of a teenage store where they sold um, clothes to teenagers. And um, she came out of the store, and the person with me said, now there's mutton dressed up as lamb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, America has got the gold medal in that, that that we, we cannot accept our age. We are continually trying to look like what we're not. And that is sad because everything you plant in teenage and 20s, it, 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 it's coming to harvest in the time when most of Americans don't even want to look at it, wants to avoid it. It's very sad. Um, this is not the story of an old man who is trying to look and act young when he said, give me the giants. No, no, no. This isn't a fellow who's refusing to accept his age. Um, He is realizing that in his present age, he can glorify God equally to when he was a young buck back there in Canaan. Um, In fact, he is so proud of his age He announces it in capital letters, and here we are 5,000 years later, and we're still talking about his age. And he was very proud of that. You see, the fact is, now get a hold of this, birthdays mark our physical years. Hear me. Physically, this finger is 85 years old. Physically, physically. 
But birthdays do not mark my spirit. Your spirit does not grow the same as your physical body. In fact, I, I will say your spirit is ageless. That's what Caleb was saying. What I did at the age 40, I can do today. And he's not boasting. He said, I did it then in the strength and power of the Lord being with me. I do it today in the same way. My spirit is ageless. In fact, there is a sense in which the older your body gets, the more youthful your spirit gets. In order to handle the pressures of life, there is a rising within you of a life that you didn't need earlier on. Amen. Your spirit is ageless. And some of you are looking at me in that weird way. Um, I am... I, I, I speak that which I know. Um, it, it is that we we mark our birthdays uh, God marks our spirit. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, that is the joy that begins uniquely to God, has been uh, communicated to my spirit, and therefore I, I walk in a strength. So never let your spirit follow your physical years. Never, never talk about your true self as the same age as your body. Paul, Paul says our bodies are perishing day by day, he says, but our inner man is being renewed and resurrected. So, okay. The, right on the backdrop of this story continually is this giants. Uh, today that's an unfortunate expression because immediately when you read this story to people, they think of Jack and the Beanstalk. It's, uh, you know, the giants of fairy stories. Um, that's not, not so. These were physical giants. Do, do you realize that to many people in the world, you are a giant? Have you ever been to the Philippines? If you've been to the Philippines, you feel like a giant. Um, when I first went there, and I, I went directly from the airport to the church to preach, and I thought they'd put me into the kindergarten room. All these little tiny chairs. And I towered above the chairs. And um, then uh, the pastor came, a uh, little fellow, and um, he took me to a regular chair. And he said, this we reserve for, and I'll tell you what he said, this we reserve for fat belly Americans. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was a giant. I, I felt like it had landed in Hobbit land. And um, you, go to the, you go to buy a suit and the whole place is a children's store. You, you, I, I say that in order to bring this story out of fantasy. They, they, they were not facing creatures of, of, of you know, children's stories. They, these men were gigantic. Um, one of the relatives of these guys was Goliath, who slipped through the net and was still alive when David came along. But um, 
but with Goliath, we, we get his dimensions. They, they say how, how much his armor weighed and, and he must have been around nine feet tall and had a body uh, that matched his height. Um, terrifying to look at. Um, and the Israelites were smaller, so they would look up at, at such characters. But in the Bible, the, these giants had a history which we're not going into, but enough to say that they um, were connected in some way to the demonic. Um, if you go back into Genesis 6, the cause of the flood was what these creatures did. And so um, you, you are dealing here with people of demon origin that um, they overshadowed everything. You, you, you've got into the land, it's your land, and then the great shadow comes, and you know it's not your land, not while they're around. Um, today, we, we face it. We really do, though we don't speak that language. But there are circumstances in my life and your life that they appear to be bigger and stronger than me, big time. And when they come into the room, in terms of talking about them, it seems that there's a shadow that comes over the whole room. That there are giants in the land. Their shadow brings that cold fear. You want to run for an exit, because you don't know what to do with this. This is bigger than you, and they can do more than you do. Um... It can be an addiction, it can be people, it can be a circumstance, it can be a mass of things, but it, it, it's got you, and you can't get out of it. They're just plain too big. Um, and so they stand in the way of people fully enjoying their inheritance, your destiny. You, you've never gotten to enjoy the destiny that I outlined a couple of minutes ago because of fill in the blank. It's, it's something that just stands in your way. It doesn't have to do anything, really. Just stand in the way. And, and, and there you have it. They overshadow all other evidences of God's goodness and faithfulness. Their position in your life is always to threaten you. You can't get away from this. You'll never make it. And so, that's who the giants in this story are. And Hebron was their nest, if you want to put it that way. They, they all seem to live there. And um, when they went into the land, remember the 12 spies went to see the land. It fell to Caleb to look into southern, what then was known as Canaan, uh, the southern area just before you go on your way to Egypt. Some of you have been there, Hebron. And, and, and it, in history, it's, it's where Abraham was buried. It's where Isaac was buried. It's where Jacob was buried. It's a very sacred place. It had been taken over by the giants. And Caleb moved into the hill country, spying it out, getting the drift of the land. And as he put his foot down on the land, he said, I'm taking this. 
This is the key to the whole jolly place. If, if, if the giants go down, we've got the land. And so he put his foot down. And the word in, in your Bible is, the, the, wherever your foot shall tread. And it's got in it, in the original language, the idea of someone stamping their foot. I'm taking this. You won't find a happy home here, hereafter. I'm taking this. And he does it with this attitude that he had. This was his identity. Well, identity really is this, runs through the whole story. Uh, identity, you know, who are you? We, we're very, most people are very ignorant of who they are. They identify themselves as their driver's license, their social security number, where they work, where they live, who they relate to. That's who I am. Uh, it isn't. That's what you do. That's how the government looks at you. But who are you? You're not what people told you that you were. They didn't know. And you, you might have been told something ever since you were a child by some parents who couldn't keep their tongue quiet. And they, they said things to you they should forever regret. But it stuck. And that became your identity. That's who I am. Identity. And the, the ten, there were twelve of them that went into the land. Joshua and Caleb went one way, the ten went the other. And the ten looked at the giants and they said, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, insects. And they went on to say a very profound thing, because it's absolutely true. They said, because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, they saw us as grasshoppers too. We always assume everybody sees us the way we see ourselves. And it's a lie, an absolute lie. The giants towered above them. Yeah, I grant you that. They felt as small as grasshoppers. They lived their life and they gathered their identity from the bottom up. They stood at the feet of giants and began to put things together by looking up. And they towered like the Empire State Building above you. It was an exaggeration. They weren't as big as that. But it felt like it. And they began standing at the bottom. They figured out their position. If this is where we are, then we're at the bottom here and we're grasshoppers. We're nothing more than insects. The what, what are they doing? They're defining God as they define themselves. And again, that's profound because that's exactly what happens. We define ourselves and then we define a God that fits that. So they looked at the giants and says, we can't do anything, then therefore their God couldn't do anything. 
that they looked from the bottom up and believed that God was standing beside them looking up at the circumstance, at the persons, at the problem. Um, God had to now fit into the parameters of their situation. We couldn't have a God that can do more than I can do. And, uh, that, that's their attitude. And their attitude um, meant that as they look at God in those terms, they end up with a God that's no bigger than a grasshopper. I, I see it this way. This is how God must see it. Then God is nothing more than a grasshopper. Um, it is something that has plagued the human race ever since the beginning of time. Um, who am I? And I begin to put together an image of myself based on my circumstances. And if I can't handle it, then I'm no good. If I can't do it, then I'm in some way diminished in the eyes of everybody. I'm no good. Bottom up. They gave their circumstances the authority to define who God is. Crazy when you talk about it, but that's what we do. How powerful is he? Well, it depends on the circumstance. What can he do and can't do? It depends on where we find ourselves. Can God keep his word to us? Well, it depends on how bad things are. Uh, and they, they saw God through the same lens as they saw themselves and ended up with the same limitations on God that they saw on themselves. If you're, if you're looking at life bottom-up, inevitably you feel like an insect. And you're God who, in whose image you're made, then that God um, becomes nothing more than a glorified insect. Caleb... And this is God's word. He said he has a different spirit. He, he has a different attitude to life. And that attitude is, he didn't look at life bottom up. He looked at it top down. That is, he defined life in, in the light of who his God truly was. So I'm not creating a God in my image, able to do what I can do, but I'm seeing a God sends me spitless with wonder that he can do what I can't do. And, and there you have it. He judged life from the top down. He judged all his circumstances in the light of who he knew God to be, which resulted in this word, again, which the Lord said about him. He said he he follows me wholeheartedly. That's a very strong word that has come to us down through the ages. It's still in our vocabulary. What, what does it mean? Well, heart, uh, in since forever, is always connected with courage. And so however far back you go, however ancient the language they always speak of the heart is to do with courage. And so a whole heart, it means a man of courage. 
Our English word that translates this word actually is enthusiasm. Wholeheartedness is enthusiasm. Did you know that enthusiasm is a Greek word that never got translated? Huh, yeah. Um, the Greek word is en, which means in. And not just sort of in the door, but you are in, you are in this building. You are inside, you're sitting down, you're here. En in Greek. But then theos is God. And enthusiasm is a Greek word which means God is in you. And he has come to settle down and be at home. He's come to stay. Did you? Yes, you got that. Um, And it's a facing of life from that knowing that God is in me, which means without hesitation. Um, okay, another one. Did, did you, you know, you know the word doubt? Yeah. D-O-U-B-T. Where did the B come? You don't pronounce it. Doubt. No, we don't say that. Well, I tell you where it came from. Came from double. D-O-U-B-L-E and doubt, they're almost exactly the same. Because doubt is being double. Doubt is, I believe this, well, just a minute, maybe I believe that. No, 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 it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. Hesitation, hesitation. I'm going to do that, but then what would Jack say? Yeah, I, I pull back, I... I don't know. I don't know. Enthusiasm is lacking because enthusiasm means without any hesitation. It means you abide by your first decision. If you notice that one, uh, Peter said to Jesus, can I come and walk on the water with you? Jesus said, yes. (laughs) Peter gets out of the boat and walks, but then he takes a second look and a second decision. He saw the waves, he saw the wind, he said, humans aren't supposed to be doing this, and he sank. (laughs) Um, It's not an absolute, but be careful of your second opinions. Uh My first opinion usually is what Caleb said, go now. And he was ready to go now. Mm -hmm. The second opinion was, well, they're rather large, aren't they? Um, You know. Let's let's have a committee meeting about this. It, it's no, no, wholehearted enthusiasm without hesitation, no double-mindedness. We're getting very close to another word, childlike. That dad said it, I do it. It's the, the simplicity of life. It's grasping life with two hands. I'm ready to live. Not to talk about it. I'm ready to do it. Ready to live fully right now. Caleb refused to be an insect. (laughs) He defined himself by the greatness of his God. 
And the fact that he was in the center of that love of God and that God was faithful to his word and he had a destiny to be that love and to disperse that love. This was his attitude. Um, Attitude. You know, when I was raised, attitude was something that appeared to belong to children or teenagers. Because the parents were always saying, you've got an attitude. <laughs> Actually, they were defining the word pretty good. Um, the the word attitude, you haven't said anything. You haven't done anything. And yet there's this energy coming out of you that parents call your attitude. It, it, it means that... Um, you, you are you, the attituded person. Uh, you're looking at life through a certain lens, and you don't want to do this. You don't say anything. You know that wouldn't do much. But your body language is shouting. <laughs> it's the way you put your hand on the table. You didn't notice it, but people who know what they're doing do. Uh, it, it's the way your your lips are pouting. Um, the way your eyes look or not look, it's attitude, you see. Um, it ends up in behavior, but it's... When, when a person with an attitude, negative, comes into the room, everybody feels it. The only one who thinks they're getting away with it is the one with the attitude. They're just, this way I feel. But... It, it, you you are centers of this energy that's coming out of you, and sometimes that energy is very bad news. You've got an attitude, but you see, the word attitude um, is very positive at the same time. That that you now can have a settled way of thinking about God. Even if you're in the presence of people that don't believe, but you have an attitude. You know who God is. Amen. You revel in his love. Yes. You know what life is about. Amen. You know that he is greater than your problems. You know he is the source of joy. You know he's the ultimate solution. You know that he makes giants look like pygmies. <laughs> and again, it's not only in what you say. I'm not saying you're going to go there and be a witness. Sometimes I wish you'd keep your mouth shut. Uh, and I'm serious about that. Yeah. Being a witness is being a witness, not doing it. Amen. You be a witness. And how do, body language? At the approach of bad news, what does your body look like? How does it react? Everybody's watching. You do understand. Your facial expressions, what you are thinking about and not saying, your behavior, attitude. Caleb had it in bucket loads. Amen. Yeah. There were two million Israelites. Did you know that? And it says Israel came out of Egypt, two million at least. Might have been more than that. But two million people came out of Egypt. 
Two million people were ready to go into the land of Canaan. It was God's gift. Ten people were afraid. And they spoke so convincingly, they changed the mind of two million people. Two million people are ready to run. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, said, you are absolutely wrong. That's not the way it is. Let us go now. And it's interesting that 40 years later, we don't only know about Caleb, but 40 years later, somebody spilled the beans as to those giants. And um, find it in Joshua chapter 2. They said, we, we know who you are. Yeah. You, you were here 40 years ago, weren't you? Wow. We, we remember that. Boy, do we remember that. Our hearts melted for fear. We were ready to come and surrender. And you all went off into the desert. Caleb was absolutely right. Go now. But the people listened to the ten. He continued to follow wholeheartedly saying the Lord is with us I am not an insect I tower above the giants in my spirit Cheryl said last time we were talking um, of what the Lord said to her some years ago that you do not bow you, you go into the arena to face your enemy and you do not bow to your enemy ever you only bow that's top down you bow to him and that you, you've got that here with, with with Caleb he will not bow so you're a giant so my physical body can only see your kneecap that, that's my true self knows who I am and who you are. I will not bow. He boldly stood against the ten. And he stood against two million people and said, you're wrong. You're wrong. Now we meet him 45 years later. He's the same chap saying the same thing. He said, I'm ready. I've been ready for 45 years. And um, that hill country is mine. Yes. See, everything that he was, he is. See, the trouble when you deny old age is you think of life as disconnected events. Okay. <laughs> If I avoid thinking of growing older to older, I'll avoid it. I do everything in my power to make my neighbors think I'm 40, you know. 
the result is how do you handle today? Because you've just canceled tomorrow. Well, today just minds me, just exist today. It's going nowhere. It came from nowhere. Just, that's today. If we have a destiny, every hour of your life, you are putting together that destiny. I'll go further and say every day is a microcosm of all of your life. Right now, sitting in this chair talking to you, how come I'm doing that today? It was based on decisions I made as a teenager. Yes. You, you are seeing, sitting here, a teenager fulfilling a destiny that began... Do you follow me? I, I don't exist in a vacuum. This didn't happen last night when I said, shucks, I think I'll go and talk tomorrow. Right, right, right. It, did you understand me? We made decisions, and those decisions had consequences. Yeah. Boy, that's another word we don't use much. <laughs> Everything we do has consequences. Right. And those consequences have consequences. And if I am in the love of God, and if I am enjoying the reality of Christ in me, then those consequences are building the consequences. I'm going to a blueprint. Do you remember when they were building that bridge in Bernie over I-10? Yeah. What a mess. And, and whoever was doing it, in my opinion, my great opinion, um, didn't know where to put traffic lights. And so we're stopping in the middle of nowhere, and you were ready to say, I'm never going to go through Bernie again. I've had it. I don't. We go there today. Every brick, every piece of concrete... Every piece of wood that those men were moving around that upset me so much produced what is now a joy to drive over. Yes. <laughs> there was consequence to the moving of every brick. <clears throat> There's a consequence. Right back to the architect who drew a picture of it to start with. Consequence, consequence, consequence. Your life is one whole. If you realize every decision you have made in life is present sitting in the chair you're sitting in right now, like it or not. But I go further. Every decision you make today is a seed that is going to come to harvest months from now, maybe years. When I meet Caleb at 85, he's no different to the way he was at 45. No different. He's because he was working on, on a destiny that he understood. A destiny that began with the greatness of God, the love of God, the truthfulness of God. He cannot let me down. He built a life on that. See, Every thought we have, let alone every decision, but every thought we have 
is something solid. <laughs> well, there's a, I forget her name, but um, she wrote a book and she said a very significant thing, that every thought you have is a piece of real estate. You, you See, we think, <laughs> we think of our thoughts as sort of wispy white clouds that go across a blue sky. That, um, I mean, they're going, no, it's just a thought. You never have just a thought. That thought is a piece of real estate. And where does it build its real estate? In the organs of your body. There are specific organs that build certain parts of your memory, your thoughts. It's all there. You're all there. Everything you've ever done, it's all there. So what Caleb did back there wasn't just a nothing. It all had a place. And if, if, if I invest my life in nothing, and you know what I mean by nothing, you, you look back at the day and, well, what happened? Well, not really anything. Um, you did nothing. And that wasn't just relaxing in the corner. It was your very actions that you did take and decisions you did make were full of emptiness and nothing. In fact, they're negatives in your life. Hosea says it so perfectly. He said, such people sow, like sowing seed, they sow the wind and they reap a tornado. Every thought I think multiplies and reproduces itself. So I sow into nothing. My life is just empty. It's self-centered. It's going nowhere. I just do things for my pleasure. And I invest in it. I do it. I do it. Yeah. And because it's not really a nothing, it's real estate of nothing, it reproduces and it multiplies. And when I meet you 30 years later, if you're there, you've reaped a harvest of tornadoes. And tornadoes are just the same. You, you sowed wind, what's a tornado? Wind. Only wind that's been reproduced and multiplied. And now it's turned in on you and it's destroying you. But it's doing what you told it. You sowed it. You said, I want that harvest. <laughs> Caleb sowed a wholehearted attitude to life. Amen. And at 85, he's reaping it. And I've grown in my spirit and I'm ready to handle this. I'm ready for my inheritance, the nest of giants. You say, well, Caleb, I mean, he had an advantage. God sowed in him Hebron and said, this is your inheritance. Um, read the whole story. 
read what this incredible God sowed into these people when they were slaves in Egypt. He said, I am bringing you out of Egypt. I think you are so special. I'm like an eagle with its eaglets on its back, and I'm carrying you out of Egypt. He said, I'm going to make you the most unique people on the face of the earth. I'm going to cause you to be the carriers of the blessing of God wherever you go. You are going to be priests to me, so you represent people to me, bring people to me. That was the inheritance that was given to two million people who said, no thanks, no thanks. It's a bit dangerous out there, you know. Don't, don't want to get involved. They all, they, as I said, the whole human race has a destiny. That destiny was Caleb's food. Can you imagine? I can't. I really can't. Um, Forty years. That's a long time. It's a long time living in Bandera. But in a desert, a wilderness, sand underfoot, sand underfoot. Pitch your tent tonight. Now, they were pretty good tents. They were like the Bedouins of today. But still, a tent is a tent. Sand flies are sand flies. Desert mice are desert mice. You know, it's 45 years. Caleb, you were the one that said this shouldn't be. You said we can go into the land and get this over and done with. You are in the desert only because two million people says we're not going in. And so you have to tag along because there's only two of you. So he's in a place that he didn't want, didn't believe in. The very opposite of what he did believe in, but he has to go along with it for now. Forty years. And he watches them die one by one. The older you get, the more funerals you attend. They're dying. He watches the youngsters growing up and he knows whenever those kids are grown, we're going into that land. And he fed on what God had said to him. He said, actually, a very strange thing, which is, it's got to be another message there. But um, he said, when he came, he said, uh, when, when the ten tribes said, we, we can't, they're, they're going to eat us alive. And Caleb said, that they are our bread. Um, do you know there's a certain feasting from God's love? when you're really under pressure. Andrew read it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As if in the presence of my enemies, that's a place for special feasting. It's there that my cup runs over. It's there that we're having such a jolly good time and the enemies can only sit and watch. Because in a sense, we're feeding on them. It's, it's as the pressures rise, so the feet. What did Jesus say? 
I've never heard a sermon on it, but um, somebody should preach it. Uh, the woman of Samaria, do you remember? He was, he was starving hungry. They had walked all morning and come to the well at Saika, and he sits on the well, and he knows what it is to be exhausted. So, so when the woman of Samaria comes, he says, give me a drink. And the disciples had already gone into town to get food so they can continue their journey. He talks to the woman of Samaria big time, changes her life forever. Just in time for the disciples to come back loaded with hamburgers and barbecue and uh, and and he says, "No thanks, I'm not hungry." You what? Wow. Did, did did somebody come and bring food? No, there. Did did this lady have more than water? I mean, where'd you get food from? He said, "I have food to eat that you know nothing about." That is real. That's real. That when you are under the pressure, when the opportunities are almost too many to handle, you are fed. And it's feeding at a physical level. I don't, I don't need. How many times you read in the Old Testament words satisfy? The one I'm thinking of right now is that David said, satisfy me with your loving kindness. That word satisfy in the Hebrew language means let me gorge on a feast. It's a, it's a food word. You would not use that word for anything but are you satisfied? We use the word today. Satiated. Are you glutted out? <laughs> That's the word. It's a food word. David said, satisfy me, glut me, satiate me with your loving kindness. Think about that. Caleb lived for 40 years and he didn't waver. Uh, you know, when people complain, every time any of us complain, we release a negative energy of death into the room. Complaint is one of the greatest, well, I say sins. Um, if you, you read, the Lord said, every time you complain, you're complaining directly to me and about me. And the, the Israelites, they had the gold medal for complaining. And not only complaining, they said, we want to uh, get a new leader, go back to Egypt. You know, the, the soup there was unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> crazy idiots. They were slaves in Egypt. Well, now they said, let's go back. Complain, complain, complain. Nothing could ever be right. The Lord says they're complaining to me. And there was this atmosphere. Caleb lived in the middle of that. You know what it's like living in the middle of a complaining, whining bunch of babies. Mm -hmm. um, but he was feeding on something else. 
He was feeding on the loving kindness and the faithfulness of God, and he could almost taste the milk, the honey, and the grapes of the land of Canaan. Maybe he did taste it. He didn't go and go through, if only, if only. Why did she do that? No. He's answering to top down, not the whining and crying that's happening at bottom up. (sighs) It's how we speak that makes that real estate inside. It's how we think, our thoughts, our words, how we behave the challenge and the opportunities we're building our destiny I, I, I see it so plainly maybe it's because it's where I'm now sitting but passing decisions that they, they are built into you And you become today what you were saying and thinking six months ago or more. And Caleb didn't change. He had an identity. He had an attitude. He was wholehearted. And he nurtured that and fed on it even though he was surrounded by the wailing, the yowling, and whining of of two million people. This whole thing is strange to America. I'm not getting at America, believe me. I live here by choice. Many of you can't say that, but um, I live here by choice. And um, England is just the same. They just take longer to do it. Um, they have five committee meetings to decide we won't do it. Um, the American gets on and does it, and um, and then exports it to the world. Uh, but you see, the American, big swash of the brush there, wants immediate pleasure. I want it now. I want recognition. I want people to know I'm here. I'll bang my fist on the table in the restaurant to let them know I'm here. I want fortune like tomorrow. I want relief. I've got pain. I I must have relief. I don't care what it does to me. For sick, I want it now. And if it gives me relief now, I'll live with the consequences. Yeah, but most people live without any sense of consequences. In fact, I had one person say to me, what does consequence mean? You know, do you know what it means? There's silence there. Um, Consequence. You know, what you do today has immediate repercussions all through your life. You'd never do anything today. You do it for a lifetime. Because what you did today will set in motion like dominoes. 
This hour that we're now living in is not disconnected island. It's connected to every other hour we live. And Caleb stands at the end of it. They seem to have overlooked him because they got to the land. That was 40 years. Well, Joshua, for sure, knew about what Moses had said. Why doesn't he escort Caleb immediately to Hebron and say, okay, buddy, that's yours? It's... No. They're settling everybody else. You read the first chapters of Joshua's got the list of all the places that were given to this one and that one and that one. Caleb, have you forgotten? Did, did it get lost in the mix? You, you heard what Moses said. No, nothing. Finally, my 85th birthday, I was supposed to get this on my 40th birthday. And he gets his extended family together, Judah, and they go to Joshua. Joshua doesn't make any fuss about it. He blesses Caleb. He gives him Hebron. Caleb does it. He takes Hebron. And right down through the centuries, that belonged to Caleb and his family. I, I don't know how this has impacted you, whether I've been able to transfer to you the impact it had on me. And there's more. I might even do a second week, I don't know. But um, the, the, the sense that we're, we're part of something so much bigger, so much bigger, that we walk through life today with an ageless spirit. Yes. And we are building an ageless real estate <laughs> made of love and joy and peace and patience. See, heaven, whatever that means. But um, heaven is looked upon by some people as sort of it just descends upon you with a bang that you just walk into this this place. You realize you, you are creating heaven or hell right now. Wow. Yeah. Many people ask me, do you believe in a hell to come? And I say, well, I sure believe in a hell that's present with us. I know more people who are in hell right now. For what consequences? They made decisions. And the truth, Paul says we are now living in heavenly places. Don't talk about mansions over the hilltop. I'm building them right inside my own physical life. We live there. Well, maybe when you get as old as me, you'll see it. But <laughs> I trust this is a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you thanks.
that you are the glorious God and Father of all babies and all teenagers and all married couples and all old folk because we're not old to you. We are your dancing children living a life that knows of no age. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding and bring us to live as those who live forever. Giving you thanks, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.